0: inviting them to a meal is so important around the table breaking bread is another area that is very unusual for people in america because we don't even eat with christians anymore we don't invite people into our homes but by not inviting my muslim friends into my home i'm saying you really aren't important to me you are listening to our urban voices with dr alphonse javet a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your
1: host. Hi, I'm Dr. Alphonse Chavez. Over the past year, we have talked about the importance of Muslim ministry and why you and your church should be reaching out to Muslims. One of the best times to start reaching out to Muslims is during the month of Ramadan when many Muslims fast during daylight and break the fast over dinner to gather in the evening, which is called the Iftar party. I challenge you to invite Muslims over to your house for an Iftar dinner or to host one at your church. This year, Ramadan begins March 22nd and ends April 20th. You may feel like you don't know where to start. That's why in January, we are sharing our most actionable episodes about how you can reach out to Muslims in your community this Ramadan with plenty of time to prepare. Remember, perfect love casts out fear. Hello and welcome back to our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javier Today I'm joined by Ruth Ripken from Nick Ripken, Ripken Ministries. Our topic today focuses on particularly on reaching Muslim women and the vital Role Christian women have in reaching out to Muslim women. Before we jump in, a little bit about Ruth. She and her husband Nick are mission veterans of of thirty five years. They have done extensive research among believers believers living in the midst of persecution in over seventy countries. One of uh, Ruth's greatest joys. Is spending time with Muslim women, listening to their stories, and seeing how God can break into their lives. Another blessing is helping women across the US connect and fall in love with the nations in their midst. Thanks for joining us today, Ruth. How are you? I
0: I am great and delighted to be with you. Thank you for this opportunity.
1: Absolutely. It's our pleasure to have you on our show. Before we start, though, Um, I would love to hear a little bit about your family. Um, I think families uh, and uh, uh, our relationships with family make us human. And I think audience connect with that. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your uh, family?
0: Sure. I think that is so true about family. And living overseas taught me a lot about how important family was. We, my husband and I, Nick, we have three wonderful sons. And uh, one of them lives with his heavenly father and two are on earth with us. And uh, what's really, really special is when we came back from overseas, um, our youngest son and his wife said, we want to live near you. And uh, they moved into the house I grew up in and live about 30 minutes from us. And we have the joy of keeping our grandson who's seven months old. every day so we are excited and then our oldest son and his wife live in maryland and so uh, that's where we are
1: that's uh, beautiful i got uh, four children and uh, five four and my girls are um, almost two years old so i can totally imagine uh, the noise and the excitement and uh, constant like uh, in our in our case it's like mommy mommy mommy, mommy oh, or daddy 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 <laughs> so I, I I can see grandma if that's what he calls you that's yeah. gonna be
0: well I'm gonna be pickles so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's a strange name but that's what my <laughs> oldest grandson calls me
1: that's cute though. So you and your husband have been serving the Lord for many years in many different places. Could you give us uh, some more information about your background in missions and and what you are currently doing?
0: Yeah, um, it's really fun. As a nine-year-old girl, eight, nine-year-old girl, uh, God began to work in my heart. And uh, the thought that there were people in the world who had never heard about Jesus just brought me to tears, and God said, that's what I want you to do. And so my whole journey in going overseas started at that young age. and we began to um, go there and as I got into college, I got to go to Africa for the first time, um, came back to the states and my husband and future husband and I began to talk about what was it going to take um, for us to unite marriage and missions was so much a part of that and I began uh, looking that direction when we went to my father to ask for permission to be married. Um, my dad did not ask my future husband anything. He asked me, "What about your desire to go overseas?" And I had the joy of saying, "You know that's what we want to do and Nick and I want to do it together and my dad looked at us and said, "Then I bless you." I bless you if you're gonna do what God has asked you to do. And uh, so we got married. Um, Nick's family were not um, strong in, in faith. And so as they began to go through a, a very uh, horrible divorce, we stayed around a little bit to love on their the younger children. And then God said, it's time. And uh, we packed up and went to the country of Malawi first. And in my mind, I was going to live the rest of my life in Malawi, um, but God had another chapter in our story. In fact, he had many more chapters. We left there because of malaria, went to South Africa and lived there uh, seven years. And then God said, I need you to go to another part of the, of Africa. And that's when my encounter with Muslims uh, became a reality as we moved from South Africa up to uh, Kenya and began to look at Somalis and uh, God opened the door for us to do a lot of relief work there. And he taught me a lot about persecution, about what it is for Christians who live in places where it costs a lot. And he taught me a lot about um, how do I as a Western woman relate to Muslim women? Uh, when our stories are so divergent and so um, different, and uh, he gave me a love for Muslim women. We then uh, went to believers in persecution across the globe, and I think that's where uh, our stories intersected, and hopefully I can be a little help to your to your listeners.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I think that gives uh, um, a some idea where you're coming from I'm talking about my uh, our audience uh, it gives them some idea where you're coming from as you launch into this uh, uh main topic of the ap- episode why ministry specific specifically to Muslim women why, why does that need a special focus
0: yeah it's almost like they're a people group of their own and we 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 have learned that it's going to take whole families who come to faith in order to survive in the midst of persecution. But we also realized that um, we're not going to be able to reach Muslim women through men. And originally, as we went to the nations, I'm talking about the whole mission focus, we thought, well, we'll go as families, but the men will be the front point of the spear as they go out and they share Christ. And as women, we'll stay home and take care of our families. And what we need to think about is that Muslim women um, are are out there and they're not going to be reached by Muslim by men. And it's going to take us as families going. It's going to take us as women reaching out and uh, living out who we are confident in who we are in Christ and raising our children, especially our daughters, to be confident in who Christ is in their lives.
1: Amen. And th- this is a very different idea because uh, even even in our churches, uh, the tradition is you give the man opportunity to speak and share about what the Lord is doing. It's just somehow people don't compute That families that they are reaching to are not just men; they are families. That means there are wives and husbands and uh, their children. And uh, with that, even uh, um, I think when it comes to changing a nation and culture, is uh, usually the women because they get to spend the formative years of uh, the children uh, get spend those uh, formative time, uh, the amount of time they give to their children in those formative years is, uh, is so the amount of those hours is so much more than a, the father gives to them. That's so right. if we, if she comes to the Lord, if she knows the Lord and then she can teach, and then hopefully those men who are children today, tomorrow, they will grow up to be godly men who love the Lord. And then the culture can change. So let's uh, so what does this kind of outreach look like?
0: Well, it depends on the culture. I think that's something that we've learned is when we go into a new place, we have to learn their culture. So as refugees come to America, as we are living in a, in the U.S. or wherever we're living, we want to learn about culture. I and mean, you can do that in a lot of ways. Um, I'd love to go and sit in a home with Muslim women mm-hmm. and talk about what are their what, what are their stories? And as you listen to their stories, you see where your story and their story intersect. Right. And that's the exciting part is the Holy Spirit just pricks your heart and says, mm. okay, this is an open, open door for you to walk through. Uh, right. You've got to be really sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but it right. does require a lot of time and a lot of effort. Right. Um, it's not something you can do as a drive-by shooting. You can't just think that God's going to open the door and you're going to walk in and it's all going to lay out. You've got to do some, uh, some seeking and some searching, um, and I think that's a real key to knowing um, about who she is and who her family is. And falling in love with her takes time, but um, I love to go and visit. Um, when we moved to Jordan, I think mm-hmm. the big lesson I learned is how to even make yourself available, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. changing your how, what your schedule is. So you're available when she's available to visit you or when you go to visit her. Um, I found I needed to put it on my schedule because otherwise mm-hmm. the day would go by and I had great intentions, but they never happened I had so many interruptions and so many things. But if it was on my schedule that I was going to go visit my friend, my neighbor, uh, it happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I even learned the really hard thing of taking a gift as I went of cookies or whatever, uh, knowing that she was going to take that plate of cookies and maybe eat them. And then she would return it to my house someday. Uh, that was important of opening the door and blending into the culture enough that she right. trusted she trusted me. Um, and I think that's something that's so important. They are not, Muslim women are not targets right. of, of our evangelism. Right. They are dear friends who we want them to be uh, a part of our, fa- our Christ family but that's not why we love them. We love them because they're God's creation. Yeah. And uh, and that's something I think that we often um, misuse. Yeah. And we we make people targets rather than somebody that we can love and care that's for.
1: Right. Amen. So let's talk about Christian women then. Why is their role so important in this context? And how do we encourage more women, Christian women, to reach out to uh, Muslim women in their uh, um, proximity.
0: Yeah, I think one of the huge hurdles that we have to get over is the factor of fear. Right. Uh, we have so many unknowns as we look at Muslim women. Many of them dress so different than we, we do. So when we see them, it's almost like we'd have to take a deep breath because we're afraid. And so fear is the number one hurdle Uh, that we have to get over and then for many women it's what do I say and if I say something wrong am I going to cause World War III Um, I think uh, I learned this lesson uh, really well when I went to Egypt and a lady was visiting me and I was talking to her and and I thought oh I'm gonna say the wrong thing and she Mm -hmm. blurted out a question that those of us from the West would never, ever ask. Right. Uh, it had to do with feminine hygiene. And I thought, I'm sitting here with a Muslim woman and she's talking about this subject that's kind of a, a non-talked-about mm-hmm. subject in my world. And I realized she's so interested in who I am. She's willing to ask any question. And so even in America... My Muslim friends, they want me to ask them questions because that gives them freedom to ask me questions. Inviting them to a meal is so important. Around the table, breaking bread is another area that is very unusual for people in America because we don't even eat with Christians anymore. We don't invite people into our homes. But by not inviting my Muslim friends into my home, I'm saying, You really aren't important to me. Because for them, hospitality is such a huge factor in our lives, in their lives. And how do I blend in their culture without inviting them into my home? And then the other thing we are afraid about is, am I going to cook something that's not, that they don't eat? And so I would encourage women, you know, just avoid pork, avoid having alcohol in your home. And you're free to do whatever you're, you're going to introduce them to foods they've never eaten. And when you go to their house, they're going to introduce you to foods you've never eaten. And by exchanging these things that are so common uh, in the world of women, both in America and any cult, any other culture, we can open our hearts to say, you know, I really had a good time. I'll tell you one story that I I think is really fun, is I went and spoke to a group of ladies. They were older than me and we talked about um, going out and how do we talk to Muslim women and what do we say and how do we get over our fear? And I challenged the women to do uh, what I call surfing uh, the international food aisle in a grocery store. And I said, go down the aisle, look for a Muslim woman, and then grab the box of couscous and say, oh, I don't know what this is, do you? And one of the ladies said, I don't think it'll work. And she went to the grocery and she began hovering over the international food aisle, called me and said, no, I haven't met any Muslim woman. I still don't think it works. And so then I started praying, okay, Lord, please let there be a Muslim woman the next time this lady goes to the supermarket. And there was. And she did what I suggested. And this lady said, oh, we eat couscous all the time. Come to my house and I'll teach you to cook it. <laughs> and uh, the lady said, OK, I'll, I'll, we'll make a plan. And she started to get her cell phone and give it. And the lady said, oh, no, you've got to come today. And this lady got in the vehicle with this Muslim woman, went to her house and her little girl and spent the day learning to make couscous. And then she called me and she says, okay, I did it. Now, what do I do? She's coming to my house tomorrow. And so we talked about how to, how to share a meal with her in her home. But I think that's it. Just having a, a, a tool to break the barrier so that you'll uh, try and find out you have a great friend.
1: Yeah, isn't it cool that little things make such a huge difference? Yeah. It's amazing. So many people have been surprised to hear that in the church in Iran, half of the leadership is made up of women. Having spent so much time with Muslim women, does their role in church leadership surprise you?
0: Not at all. Um, I think for me, um, it, if the church is going to grow, the Muslim women must be there and yes. must be able to share what they think. Um, I think one of the things I've found as we've gone across the world is in different cultures, women play different roles. And, mm-hmm. um, for instance, in The Philippines, the Muslim women are business women. In Malaysia, they're business women. They are taking roles of leadership. And in Iran, we're finding that these women are ministering to Muslim women in a way that's giving them um, the courage and the boldness they need to share Christ with those around them. I have no right to tell them what they can and can't do because. When they are facing persecution, God gives them an amazing amount of ability uh, to share Christ and be bold and withstand the persecution that Mm -hmm. that they're facing. And I think in America, we have the feeling that once they get across the border into the Mm -hmm. U.S., they're free of that kind of persecution. And that is so untrue because the same amount of persecution they face in their home culture, they're going to face in the U.S. when they uh, say yes to Jesus and when they attempt to raise Mm -hmm. their children as followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So those of us who live in the West, we, as I've said, you've got to learn culture before you make a statement uh, that says in boldness, no, you can't do this. and and we must be open um, to their culture and realize they have roles that are very different than my role as a woman. So, no, it doesn't surprise me at all.
1: So Muslim women often come into the spotlight because of laws regarding hijab, niqab, and burqa. I'm talking about the Western um, media and in and, and Western press, right? However, not all Muslim women wear the hijab, and some have uh, criticized ads such as uh, Nike's where women, Muslim women are only represented with a hijab. How do you think Christians should approach the hijab and niqab bans? What's your view? Well,
0: yeah, it goes back to that fear factor. Why are we trying to regulate how a person dressed? And most of the time, it's because we're afraid. We've seen what happens in the press and the media around the world. But I think the big thing is um, not that we are afraid, but do we have love for these women? Uh, We've got to go down to our heart and check it and say, oh, um, what is it that's causing me to feel that how they dress is mm-hmm. the only thing I recognize? Um, it's also a great opportunity because when you see a woman dressed this way, it sure is. It's a magnet for me to want to greet her and welcome her to wherever she is, the airport in Louisville or whatever. But I think um, there are many Muslim women who dress totally different. And that that's probably one of the greatest gifts God has given Nick and I as we've traveled the globe. We have met Muslim women in all different cultures and every culture is so different and so interesting and um, it's exciting. And uh, I love to go in the parts of of my city where Muslim women are more populous and try to figure out where they're from and greet them and tell them that I've been to their country and I've seen Mm -hmm. them. And so um, I, I think the big thing that we as Western women have to work on is, am I afraid of this person? Do I hate this person? Is hate growing in my heart? And realize that these women are in different cultures from their own, and they don't have to just be Americans. Um, I can love them. I can take any, any hurt feelings or hatred that I have that has been caused because of what's happening in the globe and what's happening to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, One of their greatest challenges is to love their persecutors. And if they can love their persecutors, I certainly can love the people who are from their culture and, you know, who are persecuting them and uh, who are living in my country. the biggest joy I had in living in Muslim countries was they always welcomed me to their country. They always said, welcome to Jordan. Welcome to my city. Come to my house. And uh, I have a reason I should do the same.
1: Talking about the, how they are you know, treated there and what they have to deal with and fear here uh, against them. Uh, adding to that uh, uh, existing um, persecution that the women go through in Muslim world anyways. Um, So my question next one is, Muslim women and girls, especially in already conservative uh, cultures, frequently bear the honor of their families, hence honor killings. Can you talk more about this and explain how this may factor into outreach to Muslims?
0: Yeah, I think... Another fear that we have is if we become friends with someone and they do follow Christ, persecution will come and then I'll feel like it's my fault. And what we have to realize is that if they uh, follow Christ, it's, it's Christ. Right. Christ has called them, not me. I am not the one who, who causes them to follow Christ. But honor killings are a reality for Muslim women in many cultures. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the reality of it is um, they are taught from a young age that they're to respect their family, that Mm -hmm. they are to do nothing that would bring dishonor to their family. And the honor of their family is a high priority for the for the whole family, but especially for the men of the family, the father, the uncles, the sons. The sons are taught you protect those sisters of yours so they don't do anything that brings dishonor. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when a woman does bring dishonor, then many times the father, uncle, whoever it is, um, will possibly do an honor killing and mm. rarely is an honor killing taken to courts or anything. It's just part of the reality of being a, uh, the head of a, of a home. This person brought dishonor to my home and mm. I, I have the right to to um, to right. take care of it. The thing is, honor killings also happen in the borders of the U.S. and in the borders of Canada because we have Muslim families who come and their daughters become very Western, and that is a dishonor to their family. Um, So it is a reality, and it is something that um, many girls, many women, mothers um, deal with the repercussions of the -hmm. dishonor that's brought on a family.
1: That's the awful thing. It's a painful thing to know. It is. And I hope uh, this kind of conversation is helping uh, Christian women or women in general in the United States to see Muslim women with a different perspective, to love on them. Because uh, that's not what usually um, what um, American women have to think about,
0: right. that
1: they, if, uh, if they dress in a certain way, their life could be taken away. Um, So what is the what is a commonly held belief about Muslim women that you passionately disagree with?
0: I think probably the first one is that people believe that Muslims cannot become Christians, that uh, that that's just impossible. And uh, I can say with all my heart, that is not true. We have met some amazing believers in Christ who are our brothers and sisters who have taught me so much about my faith through their boldness and their faith. Um, I will agree that it takes a lot of time. It's not something you can say, oh, I'd like to have a Muslim friend because having a Muslim friend means a huge investment and a a huge amount of your time And it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take years. Uh, It it would be nice if it could happen overnight. I have a lot of friends. I would have liked that to happen. But it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of, um, of prayer. And I think the one thing I would suggest, if you really want to see a friendship that will go deep, find a muslim woman because Mm. they believe they don't they don't take friendship lightly
1: right and um
0: they really do invest in you uh be ready to um go and if you say you like something tomorrow you will have you will have it um be ready to eat lots of food be ready (laughs) to spend lots of time um There are so many fun things you can do in your in your culture as a a Western woman who these Muslim women would love to be a part of. And, And so take them to places that are doing international foods and and take them to restaurants and teach them about your culture. Be ready to drive them to appointments that. You know, they don't know how to get to. And in their culture, all they they can call a taxi, they can hop in a bus. In our culture, it's very difficult for them to get around many times. Mm. So um, those are things that um, make it fun. But be ready. Uh, Involve your children in uh, their lives, uh, in your Muslim friends' lives, because they will learn so much. Uh, Don't do it alone. Is another suggestion I have. Uh, Have someone who goes with you because when you get tired, they can step in and be the the support. They can be the prayer warrior. They Mm -hmm. can be the person in the home that um, can make conversations with the other people in the house as you're being a friend to your your Muslim friend. Mm -hmm. Um, Teach them to cook your foods. Um, But these are things that are important, I think, as we break down the barriers that say, you know, I really do want you to feel welcomed in my culture. I want you to feel uh, a a part of my culture. I want you to know my culture, but I also want to know yours. Teach me some of your language. Help me to converse with you. Um, I I think another thing that breaks my heart is in many of these homes the women do not know English. Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge barrier that you and I have. Well, not you, but as we yeah. have, maybe as we meet these people, we can't really converse. And no. so, how do we, um, how are we willing to just sit? Sure. I first visited my neighbor, I knew no Arabic, and mm-hmm. we just sat. And I kept thinking, okay, it's time for me to go. It's time. And she kept saying, no, 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 you <laughs> stay, stay, because she knew a little English. And then I realized that was we were communicating. It just didn't feel comfortable as I would like it to. So, yeah, yeah I think there's lots of ways we can bridge that gap and be part of um, seeing Muslim women loved, um, mm-hmm. seeing them seen because often they feel unseen. And seeing them uh, open the opportunity for me to tell my story as I listen to her story
1: and then let
0: her see Christ in me.
1: Amen. Yeah, I I agree. Silence. uh, um, We are very uncomfortable with silence in our culture here. But over there, it's so... Comfortable, you just sit around. I mean, the family yeah. just sits, and yeah. even um, now, of course, there is also TV and everything that we have. But in in most of the even here, it was same thing. Early days, people would just sit. Huh. Uh, I think that culture changed here too, um, and I hope uh, those who are listening to this conversation, they 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 got something out of this conversation as to how to start um, a a conversation, how to start a ministry to Muslim women. So I I appreciate that very, very uh, intentional steps that we can take. All of these are very intentional steps that we can take to engage Muslim women. I'm talking about especially Muslim women who are listening to this uh, uh, podcast. So as we wrap up, is there anything else, Ruth, that you would like to add?
0: Well, I think um, the one thing I would like to say is if you haven't attempted to be a friend to a Muslim woman, I challenge you to find someone. Begin praying today that God will give you the blessing of having a friend from a Muslim culture, Mm -hmm. and then I challenge you to see what God will do with that, and I will Mm -hmm. pray for you as you do that.
1: Amen. Amen. So if listeners wants to get in touch with you and your ministry, what are the easiest ways?
0: Number one is to email me at Ruth, Ruth at Nick Ruth at Nick ripkin.com or go to our website, Nick ripkin.com And on there, there's a way to contact me down toward the bottom And I would love to communicate with you. And and if you have questions, uh, I don't have all the answers, but I sure have a God who knows all the answers.
1: Amen. Great. That will also be included in the episode's descriptions. All what we have discussed, um, it's it's heavy, right? A lot of these things, uh, talking about uh, um, woman oppression, talking about uh, honor killing, but at the same time, the joy to know these uh, women that God created uh, and uh, in his image and uh, that they are people and God bringing them here in the United States. And we have a a great uh, ministry opportunity. Um, So all of these things are wonderful and heavy topics. So I want to close with a joke. So uh, (laughs) tell, tell us a joke.
0: Well, me telling a joke is the joke. Because oh, I am I am the worst joke teller in the whole world, and my children laugh at me all the time because I usually forget the punchline.
1: Okay. Uh, and so... Tell me a joke. I want to really hear that one. I all right. Hear
0: that. My grandson loves to tell me jokes, so here is one of his. Why do dinosaurs not go on a date? Why? Because they're all dead.
1: Oh, that is <laughs> Wonderful one. Yes. This is really funny one. You see, that's good. Uh,
0: you're yeah. laughing. But yes, I will especially tell my with, children.
1: Yeah, my I'm telling you, this is good. Uh because my son is a big collector of jokes. So every time I hear joke that will make sense to him, I go back and I tell him, like, hey, <laughs> so
0: <him> <laughs>
1: and I learn from yeah, I learn from podcast and I go and tell other people. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show again. That was uh, Ruth Ripkin, missionary and teacher. And thank you to all our listeners. Tune in next week for more honest discussions from Diverse Voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices
0: with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.